Hi, I'm Michael Cashew. And I'm Adi Cashew, and you're listening to The WAG Podcast. This podcast is about health, wellness, and personal development. Each episode is a short conversation between Adi and I on a single topic with actionable steps. We cover everything from food, mindset, fitness, and relationships. We started WAG because of the way health and fitness changed our lives, so we hope to share a tool or two that helps you along your way. Hello and welcome back. This is Michael Cashew and you're listening to The WAG Podcast. And we have a very special episode for you today. Today we're doing, I'm doing the first ever interview with someone other than a D on here with none other than Yvette Carcass. She's our head of training. Is that your official title? Head of training? Director of Coaching. Director of Coaching. I was close. And we're doing this podcast today because we have been training a lot of coaches in the past couple of years. We have our coach certification and our business program. And without a doubt, the number one thing that people say they love about the coach certification is that they feel like it's sort of a digital mentorship. They have someone, uh, a trained expert who is one of our top coaches and a vet is one of those trainers. She's our, our top, top coach. They have, they have support and guidance and feedback from one of these individuals throughout the entire process. And they say, compared to other courses, what they love about ours over everyone, uh, everyone else that they've tried is that they actually feel confident and ready to start coaching. They don't feel like they just gained knowledge. They actually feel like they can start coaching. And so what I wanted to do today is really to dive into what that mentorship looks like how you think you guys have been able to really mentor people and help them improve versus just give them a bunch of information. You know, in in today's digital age, information is a dime a dozen. Everything is out there for free. People want things that are packaged together in a concise, actionable way, and they want support. They want accountability. And so I want to dive into how we're doing that today. Yep. Yep. I'm excited. Let's do it. And I'm super pumped to have you on here as well. I know this is one of your first podcasts ever, but you are just so amazing in your position at WAG. We call you Mama Bear. You are so sharp and your your experience from being a dancer that we'll talk about as well as your professional career, I think has set you up to just create an incredible system that has transformed thousands and thousands of lives. So I'm happy to have you on here. Thanks. I'm very excited to be here. So let's start out with um, your dancing career, because I think that A, super interesting, and B, it kind of set you up for the path that you've been on in your health and fitness. So how'd you get into dancing and tell us all about that? So I started dancing classical ballet when I was seven years old, many, many moons ago. And um, it, it all started, actually, I was the biggest tomboy you'd ever seen. And my mom, <laughs> I think, was wanting to make sure that I was as feminine as, it, as I could be. So she put me in ballet classes. It was a typical thing to do. And it just turned into an amazing uh, hobby. And just, you know, it kind of took over my life. And that's where, without even knowing it, nutrition kind of became a big deal for me. Because as many people know, at least back then, ballet was all about being as skinny as you could be. And so it started to form me in that way as far as being a teenager and being 
having weigh-ins on Saturdays. So that meant Friday night, I didn't want to eat. I never had an eating disorder, but I was definitely aware of food and trying to be skinny. Um, so it started to kind of get my mind on nutrition. Um, I taught ballet for many years. And um, so I continued along that path. And then slowly, as I started to get older, probably I was about 33 when I switched to flamenco dance, just because it was a little bit easier on the body. Ballet has a short shelf life for a dancer. What is flamenco for, for those who don't aren't familiar with that term? Flamenco is an art form from Spain. So it's Spanish dance. And um, it's kind of like the blues of, of Spain, if you will. So it's, it's mm. very emotional. And, and um, yeah, so it's very different from, from classical ballet. You don't have to be as thin, you know, it's, it's, you can be more curvy. And as a Hispanic woman, that was just my body type was like that. So, so yeah, I was always very much involved in dance and that's how I stayed in shape. I, I never did any other exercise other than dance. Um, I never, you know, went to the gym or anything like that. And then as I continued to get older, um, I found CrossFit and that led me to, um, competitive weightlifting as an Olympic lifter, as a master's athlete, which is what ultimately led me to WAG and formalizing my nutrition through CrossFit. I started doing zone and things like that. And I started to see changes in my body that I really liked. And I started to understand the importance of tracking food and being a little more precise. And so it just kind of evolved from there. Um, I always had an interest in nutrition. I never knew how to quite make it a career. Um, and then just over time it evolved and, 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 you know, led me to wag. So here I am. So you're, you're, you're one of the most disciplined people I've ever met and you're such a systems thinker. How much, if any, did that experience of dancing play in the developing of your personality or was that more like learning from your parents or even genetics? I think it's a combination of all of that, but definitely ballet in particular, which was the bulk of my life. I danced ballet for about 27 years. If there are any ballerinas out there, you know that if, if you're 10 minutes late to a class, the door is locked. You're not getting in. So wow. it just, it, it creates a, a, a sense of discipline. And yeah, definitely that influenced me uh, in a huge way. My parents as well, but I think I would say dancing definitely had a lot to do with it. So tell us a little about your professional background in construction and then how you got into a profession in health and fitness. Yeah, so I most of my life I was an architect. I studied architecture. That was my my first master's degree was in architecture um with healthcare design, so hospitals, medical office buildings, and then I got into construction of that same type of of building for a couple of years after that. All during that time, I was wanting to get into nutrition somehow, but I couldn't quite figure out how to do it. So when I found WAG and I, I'm Adi is still my coach, um, that was in 2014. So WAG was very, very new. <laughs> and I, I, I hear you were a pretty tough client. Oh gosh, I was the worst <laughs> client. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think it was like two or three days into my journey. I think I gained a pound, right? And I'm emailing a D like, hello, did you not read my questionnaire? I'm trying to lose, you know, weight. Yes. I'm trying to make weight, right? And meanwhile, my, my logs were like all over the place. I was not, I was tracking, but I wasn't trying to hit my targets, right? So yeah, I was I was a bad client for her. But through WAG, I ended up losing like 17 pounds, which I never thought I had that 
weight to lose anyway, right? So I love the process so much. It felt so easy once I finally got the hang of it. Um, and it was so sustainable that I really wanted to see how I could be a part of that. And that's when I met Adi and I spoke to her about getting involved. And so I ended up training through WAG's process, which that, that is what eventually we formalized into the certification we have today. And from there, once I got hired by WAG, I decided it was important for me to get a formal education in nutrition. So I got a master's in nutrition and human performance. And, and yeah, it's just, what's interesting about that whole process is that I've really learned more with the hands-on work that I've done with the clients of WAG than, I mean, I learned a lot, obviously in the master's degree, but it's so mm -hmm. different what you learn with the practical use of coaching people day to day because everybody's so different. Right. Yeah. There's a huge difference in any discipline in life. There's a huge difference in what is best and what is going to be followed. Right. Right. Exactly. And we're constantly battling between what the science says exactly. and what human beings will actually stick to. Right. Because the science can, the science is science, obviously. Right. But if the person's not going to follow that, then what does it matter? What the science mm -hmm. says, honestly, I mean, it's about adapting it to the person, right. And helping it work for them. So, so switching over to wag a little bit to not to, I guess to, to toot our own horn a little bit as well. <laughs> we have, we've had the opportunity to work with tens of thousands of people. Yeah. And part of it, I think was definitely timing, like being in the right place at the right time. And yet there were also dozens or hundreds of other individuals trying to grow nutrition companies at the same time as a D. Right. So there's something that's stood out that's allowed us to deliver a quality service at scale. And you've had as much or more input into creating the system that our coaches deliver, the nutrition system that our coaches deliver, and how we train our coaches as anyone. What do you think it is about the WAG system that allows us to deliver the same level of quality throughout every single coach? I think that there's a couple of things we emphasize, obviously the science, which is important, but then we um, also talk about how to make that, how to make those concepts work for each individual, depending on their you know, particular lifestyle, um, any particular circumstances they're going through in their lives at the time. It's never... It's not one set way. It's always it's always flexible. It's always changing, you know, based on the person's goals or the person's um, situation. So it's teaching coaches how to be able to guide their clients during all of those situations and keep them motivated. Uh, I think mm -hmm. so. It's truly personalized. We don't tell clients what to eat, but we teach them how to navigate their different situations so that they can do it on their own and it's sustainable. I think that's really mm -hmm. the key you know yeah i couldn't agree more i also love that it's almost a it's almost like a mandated policy that every staff member must have been a wag client at some point Absolutely. that's certainly the case for coaches and almost every one of our staff members out of i think we have 54 people on staff including subs mm -hmm. um, they've all been they've all been members and so they understand the the product the service at its right. core they they understand how much we care right and so when they join our staff they just know how to behave right and I love and we, that about we, it. we i like to say that that's the wag way we call it you know learning the wag way is what you're you're learning when you're a client and i know a lot of what uh, a lot of the ways that i coach are based on how a d coaches me and you know you always you learn from from your teachers right and it's 
it's it's been interesting to me because Adi is so much younger than I am, but still I learned so much from her. It doesn't matter, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, I think that that's definitely an important part of of our process too. Is that everyone has been a client, and you know, it doesn't matter if you have to lose a ton of weight or you're trying to gain muscle or whatever your goals are. It's it's understanding the coaching process you know, definitely makes a big difference. And also there's something, I've never said this before, but I think you, in order to be a great coach, you have to be coachable because only then will you understand that you could have the best feedback and advice in the world, but if you deliver it incorrectly, they might never hear it. They might never, it might never lead to behavior change. And so you have to, you have to know what it's like to be on the receiving end to realize how to communicate effectively. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there are times that, that like I said, Adi will say something to me and it's like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't think of that, you know, but yet I may think of it for one of my clients, right? But you don't think of it for yourself. So yeah, absolutely. So take us through the exact WAG training process for WAG coaches and how does that relate to the coach certification process? So the, the WAG, to become a WAG coach, like you said, you have to be a client first and then you have to have successfully completed the the coach certification. So anyone that takes the the coach certification is already doing the same thing that the WAG coach has to do. I don't know if you want me to tell you a little bit about the the cert now, but basically the way the cert is right now is it's six phases. And I say right now because we started it with four phases. So we keep adding to it and trying to improve it. Um, So we're at six phases right now. And basically there's some interactive phases. There's some multiple choice phases. Um, the first one is all about science and flexible dieting and that type of thing. In phase two, you'll you'll delve into macro setting, um, how to make adjustments, how to read a questionnaire, which is really, I think, probably one of the more interesting parts of our course because you can get a lot out of a questionnaire mm-hmm. for, for a client's questionnaire. It's like how to, basically how to use the information that people give you. Right. And, and I mean, we can go more into that later when we talk about how we support our, our students that graduate. But um, phase two is where you get the first interaction with the training coach. So there's some sample scenarios that the um, student will submit and then the training coach will comment on those. Phase three is where the student will come up with the actual program for the client, the macro profiles and and that type of thing. And again, they will get reviewed by the training coach. Phase four is more about behavior and, and, and all the psychology that you'll have to deal with as a coach. Phase five is where you have the sample check-ins. So this is, this is kind of like where the magic happens with WAG, where you have your weekly check-ins with the clients. And we have um, logs um, in, the, in the learning software. You see the client's logs. You'll see their their summary for the week, and then the student has to respond to that um, particular client, and then the training coach basically comments on that. And then the last phase, we had added some specialty programs, which um, dive into the ketogenic diet and as well as supporting um, pregnant women. So it's pretty pretty packed with information. It's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Yes, it is. It took me quite a while. <laughs> One thing that I love about the the process WAG 
coaches go through is that once they graduate, then they have they they are a sub for a little bit. So they have some yes. more practice with a low amount of members. And then they are in, I don't even know what you call it, like the coaching framework where they have a coach support over them that gives them feedback on a regular basis. Tell, tell us a little bit about how we've taken that model and cloned it for the coach certification process. Like once people graduate, how do they get support? Yeah. So this is to me, one of the more exciting parts of our program that I don't know any other that has anything like this, but so we're interacting with the students throughout the certification and then they complete it and they start getting their own, their own clients. And they basically for life are allowed to email their training coach with any questions. If they want us to look at a program that they put together for a client, if they're unsure of something, if they just, you know, they've tried everything and they're at their wits end and they're trying to understand what else they can do, they can email us. Also, not to mention the Facebook group, which has all of the graduates also that love to to chime in and, and give support. So, yeah, it's I think that's huge, you know, and, and we get questions all the time from our graduates. And, and it's I think it's really a really big part of the program. Yeah, I think like 90% of the problems or the things that come up in someone's check-in or our communication with our clients are super easy. People are going through the same things right. over and over and over, and we can be really confident about them. Right. You and I know that one of the biggest things keeping more people from becoming nutrition coaches is a lack of confidence. And it's not about lack of confidence of those 90%. It's the things like what happens if someone's getting ready for a meet or right. what happens if they have this special issue or, or something like that. Like, wh what will I do? What I love about our program is we have tons of coaches, tons of resources that have, we, we've seen it all at this point. We've worked right. with over 20,000 people. We've literally seen it pretty much all. And one of our coaches, even if not your training assistant, will be able to help you overcome that issue. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I certainly, I, I learn every day, right? I don't know everything, but it's like you said, we've worked with thousands of people. Our team has worked with thousands of people. So we also have internally resources within our own coaches. If someone asks me a question, I can go to my team and consult with them. So even even if you're the graduate and you're just one person, right, you have this whole team of coaches that, that are backing you up when you've completed the certification because, you know, through your training coach who has those resources to to consult and get answers for you. Um, I don't I don't know of any question that I've gotten so far where it's like, oh, God, I've never heard of that. You know, like there's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it's it's pretty, pretty rare. And and it's scary. It's scary for people when they're when they're starting out working with clients. You know, many times most people are trying to lose fat. Right. They're trying to lose body fat and improve body composition. And so as a coach, you're thinking, oh, my God, what if I do the wrong thing and it goes the opposite way for this person? Like that's a huge mm -hmm. sense of, of responsibility. So I, I get that it can be scary and, and a lot of imposter syndrome, you know, and we actually talk about that in the cert. So I, it's it happens to almost everyone. Right. OK, so that was like a big sales pitch, I guess. <laughs> um, now I, now I want to talk about things that regardless of whether you want to become a WAG certified coach or not, mm -hmm. if you want to be a better coach, you want to be a nutrition coach, a lot of the rest of this, I think, pertains to you. Uh, so first off, you've worked with so you've trained hundreds of coaches now. What are what are like the most common mistakes you th see people making in their sample check in? So these are. Uh, examples of, of real check-ins that 
right. WAG coaches have done that people get the opportunity to practice on? So there's a couple that come to mind. First is just being a cheerleader, right? And not really providing any education. So we want to motivate people. We want to keep them gung-ho, right, on, on tracking and, and you're doing a great job. But at the same time, you have to provide some education and give them some value when you when you respond to their check-in. So that's super important. And how you can do that is by being as specific as possible. It's very different to tell someone, make sure you're drinking plenty of water as opposed to try to hit 90 ounces of water a day. So taking the guesswork out of it for the client is, to me, is is what they're paying for, right? Don't tell them drink more water. Well, what does that mean? To me, that could mean one glass as opposed to what you were trying to say. So, so being specific is another one that I think is important. Another mistake I see all the time is assuming people know what you know or assuming, mm-hmm. you know, assuming that it's common sense to you because you think a particular way, but that client may not be thinking that way at all, right? So how many times do you hear people say that peanut butter is a good source of protein? And it's like, mm, it's a good source of fats. It has protein, but you wouldn't go to it if you needed protein, right? So mm-hmm. things like that might be common sense to someone that's nutrition oriented, right? So that's huge. those assumptions, I think, and it can make a big difference if you don't clarify that early in the game with a client because Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it for them. So I think those are some of the bigger mistakes. I feel like uh, using jargon fits into that category too, like using words like oxidative or glycolysis. Yeah. And assuming yeah. that people yeah. know these terms. <laughs> yeah. Or eat simple carbs or complex carbs. It's like just mm-hmm. just give them a list. Give them, make right. it easy for them, you know, as easy as can be so that they don't have to guess and think and that's what you're there for, right? You know, just kind of giving them clear guidelines. One thing that we talk about a lot, and I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts on this, is one thing that we aim for is helping people to pick like one or two things at a time and not overwhelming them with right. choices. Uh, is it a problem? Do you see Do you see a lot of people trying to, I don't know, like give people all of the different options that they could be working on? Yeah, yeah. I mean... You know, if you're working with people and on their nutrition and you're using macro tracking as the tool for them, some people have never done that in their lives, right? So maybe for that particular person, they just want to track what exactly what they're eating in MyFitnessPal or whatever their uh, app of choice is and see how that goes for a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's going to be different approaches depending on the person, right? But yeah, absolutely. You can definitely overwhelm someone depending on their personality that may turn them off completely and and they'll be like oh I can't do this forget it this is too much mm-hmm. so I think that's definitely a, a a big mistake and as as coaches you want so much to let them give them all the information you have and tell them everything you know right you're excited about it and you have to kind of temper that sometimes so that you don't overwhelm the person. Definitely. Yeah. Something that has been going on in my head for a while and we've been talking about a little bit as well is I think that, that, that last part about telling them everything, you know, I think it's a little bit about ego, right? It's a little bit about like, I want to look like the hero. So I'm going to tell them everything I know, not, and, and what is subservient is them actually getting results. The primary the primary objective there is to like look good, look like the hero, 
you know, look good in the eyes of the, of the client rather than focusing on like, what's the most effective piece of advice I could get right now. The one most effective that makes them feel like the hero so that they get to build their self-esteem rather than me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to what you were talking before about what stops people from coaching in, in the first place and that lack of confidence. And they try to kind of make up for that lack of confidence by just kind of word vomiting all this knowledge, right? And and mm-hmm. and it's stuff that's not necessary. And if you're just, I think if you're genuine, open and honest with clients and explain to them the process of what you, you know, how you want them to go through this and 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 going back to the whole example of the newbie that's that's tracking, right? If you explain to them, look, this is going to be a bit of a challenge. Let's nail this down first. And then we're going to try to move on to this next step. If you let them know what's coming and what your plan is, then that, you know, you portray yourself as an expert just by that, right? Just by showing mm-hmm. that you've thought this out and, and you, you have it laid out for them, what their path mm-hmm. is going to be like, because everybody's so different. So you just spewing out information does not necessarily make you look smarter in terms of nutrition. It just means you've read stuff. I mean, I don't know, like, you right. know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. What makes you look good is getting people results. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the master skills that people or skills people need to master in order to be like a great coach? Well, obviously you need to master the science of proper um, calorie intake. So I was going to say, you know, setting macros, but if you're not doing macros, then proper calorie intake based on, on the person's activity level, that's going to be key. So, you know, understanding how the level of activity they're doing correlates to how much they should be eating. And it sounds easy, but a lot of times uh, in the students that I've worked with, I've seen them at each extreme, either they're prescribing calories that are way too much or way too little, right? So both could be difficult for a client. So that would be the first thing I think, the first skill that they they need to try to master. Um, The second one, which I think encompasses everything, is just attention to detail. Just attention to detail. So when you get, get the questionnaire from the client, you know, if they're saying that they go out every weekend, then that sentence right there says so many different things you know they go out every weekend do they drink where do they eat um do they just do they order dessert every time there's so many things that are attached to that one question right so attention to detail when they're when they're checking in with you first of all if they miss a check-in there's a detail right there that you have to pay attention to they could be ashamed they either had a blowout or they're you know there's something that they are not wanting to let you know as their coach and then attention to detail in their actual check-ins. So you, you have to be, I always like to say that we, we, we try to train people to be like private investigators, right? Or explorers. So when you read a check-in, depending on what the client is saying, it could mean so many different things and, and ask the questions, you know? So I think those are some, some skills that, that are important for coaches for any coach really. Mm-hmm. So not to deter any men from becoming nutrition coaches, but I think that women have a superpower of (laughs) reading in between the lines, right? Because you're not, what you're saying is not always what you're saying. And right. y'all know that. And and you're so good at reading between the lines and figuring out the meaning behind what people are saying and doing it really gracefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate that. If someone leaves me a short message, a lot of times I'm like, huh, well, he didn't feel like saying much. Yeah, this, this the time. short, the short But it's something ones, much yeah, deeper. Yeah, the, the short ones, the, I like to call those the minimalist check-ins, right? Those uh-huh. are the ones. And, and 
and it's not always the case. And most, for the most part, the guys that I've worked with, and that's not necessarily true now that I think of it, because I have one guy who, who writes a lot in his check-ins, and then I have one mm. that gives me two or three sentences, right? And um, I've been working with him for probably four years now. Yeah, sometimes when somebody sends you a one or two liner, those are the hardest ones because you have to really dig deep and try to get, you know, it's like pulling teeth, right? So, mm-hmm. but you have to ask the questions. Yep. Yeah, another skill is like developing the skill of writing the fine line between directing and yeah. allowing and them guiding. autonomy. Yeah. Right? And that's a really hard one, especially yeah. over text, I think. It is a hard one, definitely over text, because sometimes the tone can be misinterpreted, right? So, and again, this is where paying attention to detail comes in. You have to try to to really read what that person is telling you and try to understand, depending on the circumstances that surround it, try to understand the tone that the person is giving you, right? So, because that can help you as a coach decide how to deliver what you want to deliver to them. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. sometimes you have to dictate, depending on the person, if you see that they're just floundering and struggling, and sometimes you have to say, hey, okay, you know what? This is what we're doing this week. And yeah. it's because it's what they need, right? Mm-hmm. But then if it's mm-hmm. someone else that is telling you, I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that, and then you tell them, okay, this is what we're going to do, that's going to crash, right? So in that mm-hmm. case, you would say something like, well, if you don't want to do this or that, what do you want to do? What are you open to doing? So again, it depends on, on, on the situation. Yeah. One thing I want to add to your attention to detail point is I think this also goes for attention to detail to other areas of their life. Yes. So the only person who I have like a deep experience of, of observing is a D. And so getting people results is like the primary thing that people sign up for. Right. right? And she works with our elite athletes and, and influencers and stuff like that. If she wasn't getting them results, they'd be out of here like right. yesterday. Right. So that's the, that's the prerequisite. But I think the reason that someone like Katrin has stayed with her for four years and so many others stay with her for so long is because she's such an amazing friend to them. Right. She remembers to ask them about their family, about their hopes and yes. their dreams. We have this, uh, this Ford acronym, uh, Family Occupation Recreation Dreams. If you get to know those things about a human and you show a genuine interest in them, not just so that they you retain them as a customer, but because you actually care, just like you do an actual friend, they are going to stick around a lot longer because all of us want that. We, we trust those people more and those people are able to get us better results in whatever the thing is. Yeah, absolutely. I think that another big part of how we develop our coaches is that everyone has a different coaching style, right? And and so sometimes a client may not click with one coach, but then they totally click with the next coach. In our team, all have been trained the same way, but then there's that coaching style, which is very personal, right? Um, and that's super important. And like you're saying, it's 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 being involved with the, with the client and sharing a little bit um, the details of their lives and, and you know, knowing about I, I, the, the client I was telling you about now that I've been, he's been with me for four years or, or longer, you know, he says I'm part of the family. Like he's, he's mm-hmm. always like, Oh, my wife sends you her love. And then I mean, it's just, and I've never met her. I've never met him physically, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just because we've been working together for so long that you, you, 
you do create that bond and that's what get that's what gets them results because they want to that accountability level is even more important when you have that bond you know yes yeah so we've we've already mentioned the word feedback a couple times Mm -hmm. and you are a jedi at giving (laughs) feedback you've thought about it in terms of how do i give feedback to clients and also how do i give feedback to students that are training to become coaches so after all of these years what have you learned in the way of giving people feedback in a way that actually leads to behavior change? I think um, it's important to always include some positivity whenever you're giving feedback. If you're only letting people know what they should change or what's wrong, you know, again, it becomes overwhelming. It it becomes too much and and people kind of get turned off. So um, you have to try to find the positives when you're reviewing something or giving feedback on something. And then you can mention what you want them to work on or improve on or change. And then always end it again with some type of a summary or something positive that, that again, is, is that reinforcement to, to the person. And, and then I think that helps motivate them to, to make the change, you know. And, and USAW does that in their, in their teaching of, of how you give cues for weightlifting. You, you shouldn't tell someone, don't do this. You should tell them, try this, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it, it does, if you think about it, it does, if you say, don't do something, you're kind of want to do it more somehow. I don't yeah, know. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It just gets lodged in our subconscious. Exactly. Whatever we don't want to do, we, we, we attract more of it. Exactly. You know, I, I, Yvette, I cringe when I think of myself as a young coach because I was, almost nothing but critical feedback. Right. I had a very good eye for movement and I had a lot of knowledge and I would just pick people apart. I would be giving them three pieces of critical feedback after every single lift and no wonder <laughs> they weren't getting any better. <laughs> I seriously cringe. I feel so bad for a lot of the athletes that I worked with and I feel super lucky to have worked with so many amazing coaches uh, since then that have shown me the benefit and, and really reflecting on like, how do I learn best? Right. Um, it's taught me that the majority of coaching should be pointing out what's going well so that we protect people's confidence so that they right. just stick with this, right? Mm-hmm. So they keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there's something that, that we learned um, when we're in the in the nutrition program and the master's program is called a feedback sandwich. And it's where you take, you give them something positive and you talk about what you want them to work on and then you end it with something positive. So you're sandwiching mm-hmm. that, that the work part in between positivity. And, and it is, it is about confidence. You know, it's, it's kind of like for me on meet day, when I'm warming up, my coach knows that if something looks off, he'll just be like, you're looking really strong. <laughs> he won't say anything like pull the bar back or he sure. won't, no, he won't correct anything. He'll be like, you're looking strong. <laughs> you nice, know? nice. So I know that. Okay, what, he's trying to tell me something, but he's Smart trying to guy. keep me. He's trying to keep me confident. So yeah, confidence is huge, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the double edged short sword of being a coach, like a high level coach. Like you know when he's doing that to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now exactly, exactly. But the, the first couple of times, I was like, man, I'm looking strong. This is good. Now yeah. I'm like. That felt that, that felt awful. He's telling me I'm looking strong. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. But it still works out well. So there's something yeah. to it. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. 
So in, in the course, as, as people are going through it, how much do people actually improve versus they just come in and they're great or they come in and they suck and they leave and they kind of <laughs> still suck? How, how much do people actually improve? So what I had talked about before in the phases, so in phase two is kind of like the first little snippet of what we see from the students. And the scenarios are very generic. So there's there's not it's not like they're answering a person's check-in. It's just like you have this client with A and B situation, what would you do, right? So I think in phase two is where we really see people kind of the, the beginnings of, of what their coaching style is. And sometimes we see people crush it, but for the most part, you see people just kind of, they're a little lost, you know, they're just trying to answer. And, and again, assuming that the, the client knows what they know. So their answers are very short and not detailed. And then as they go through the course and through our feedback, by the time they get to the fifth phase where they're doing the sample check-ins, that's where I start to see, wow, like they got what I what I was trying to say. They're being super specific mm-hmm. and they're giving value in, in every check-in. And so I think for the most part, we see a big improvement just through the course itself of how the the trainee evolves, you know, through what they're gaining. So it's pretty cool to see that. And why do you think that is? Why do, why do you think they see such improvement? Is it just the practice alone or is it just seeing how the their coach would have answered something? I think it's the practice. I think at least as far as our cert goes, the way it's, it's structured is that from phase two, by the time they get to phase five, there's that behavioral psychology phase in there, which gives them a lot of insights as to how to you know, pick apart a check-in and answer a little bit better. So I think that makes a big difference. You know, nutrition is so tied to emotion and, and psychology. It's such a big, a big part of it that I think that's what really makes a difference for, you know, what the change in their answers and how they develop. Mm-hmm. So one thing I mentioned earlier is that one of people's biggest concerns that keeps them from actually taking the leap and becoming a nutrition coach, like getting certified or something like that is a lack of confidence, right? They don't, they don't believe in their abilities to get people results. What are your thoughts on that? I think every single WAG coach, myself included, has had that experience for sure. Mm -hmm. And that feeling for our personal WAG team, it's a little easier for them because they have the coach supports that help them, right? So if they they have that fear. They have someone very specific they can go to within the company. For the students of our of our certification, again, they also have us that they can come to. For people that don't do our certification and they're just trying to go into this, you know, it's it's a scary thing. It's like I said before, you know, if you're trying to help someone drop some weight, you know, you're scared you're going to make them eat too much or whatever. <laughs> it's just a matter of of finding that support somewhere so that you can have have that backup, which we're lucky to have that within our organization. So, mm-hmm. but I think it's, I don't think they're alone in that. Right. And if, if you've done the, if you've done the work, if you've studied the materials, I think over time, you're going to see that um, kind of like what I was saying that I learned a lot in my master's degree. And this was the same with architecture too. You learn a ton in school, but you really learn when you practice and when you're working yes. with the person. So if you're afraid, you're, you're going to, you know, nutrition is a lot of trial and error, no matter what the science says. Yeah, that's a guideline, but everything else is going to be trial and error. And if you're working with people and checking in with them weekly, you know, it's, it's going to be pretty hard to, to screw things up for them week to week. 
you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. One thing that we, we have started bringing up lately is, uh, this Hawthorne effect. Have you, have you heard of that? Mm, No. So they did a study on some factory workers and they told the factory workers that someone was going to be coming in and changing the light bulbs. Mm. And what they found is that just by telling them and seeing these people that were supposedly changing the light bulbs, the productivity went through the roof. And what that, what they learned from that is by just knowing someone is like watching us, it improves our productivity. It improves our performance. So if you can just be there and check in with people and do literally nothing else, you're going to be more effective than they are on their own. And when I, when I learned that it gave me such like peace of mind that my presence and my attention on people was really, really valuable. So I don't know that, that really helped me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so many people that come to us that know about nutrition, so many dietitians, nutrition coaches that come to WAG to be clients for the accountability, you mm-hmm. know? So that's definitely a, an incredibly valid point. And the the fastest way to get through fear is to actually do the thing. I started doing solo podcasts in the beginning of the year and I was super, super nervous about it. Mm-hmm. I did one. And then 90% of my fear was gone. I did another, another 90%. So I'm down to like a fraction of a fraction of that initial level of fear after Mm -hmm. two podcasts. And I think almost anything is that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, once you practice it and you see that, you know, you're probably going to kick ass at it. And then that's what increases your level of confidence. I mean, that's the only way Mm -hmm. to do it. Just do it. Definitely. So are there any other character traits that are common in the best coaches that you see? A big one is patience. You know, you'll, you'll work with clients that are not doing what you are asking them to do. And they're complaining because they're not making the progress they want to see and you want to kind of shake them. Right. And so it takes patience and then getting creative and how to deliver the same message in different ways. Uh, You know, again, going back to weightlifting, You'll get a cue from a coach and you just won't get it, won't get it. You go to another coach or someone tells you the same thing in a different way, right? And then all of a sudden you get it. It's the same It's the same thing. It's just being patient and trying to figure out how to communicate with the person. And then I think empathy, just understanding what they're going through and, you know, not judging. It's just, it's hard. Again, it's nutrition is tied to emotions. So you have to be able to be empathetic of what the person mm-hmm. is feeling and, and help guide them through it being part of their team, right? Not, not always dictating like we were talking about a little while ago. I mean, sure, you have mm-hmm. to be firm and give them tough love sometimes, but always reinforcing that you're on their team. Right. I think that's a big one. I've, I've, I've learned that when I communicate that to my clients, they really appreciate that, knowing that I have their back and that, you mm-hmm. know, that we're a team. Yeah, I, th- I feel like with all three of those, if you notice yourself being impatient or you notice yourself judging, just ask yourself, like, how is my ego at play here? Yeah. Right. Why, why am I having this reaction? And see if you can just set that to the side a little bit, because if you can do that, then you're going to, your experience as a coach is going to be so much less stressful. Mm -hmm. You're not going to cling 
to things, to your own ideas and expectations. And you're going to be able to give people, uh, get people a lot better results because the way that you communicate with them is so different from that place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that is important for a good coach is to put your own feelings in check when you're working, when you're doing the work, if you're having a bad day or if you're frustrated about something, um, you kind of have to be able to put that aside. And, and, you know, if you feel that that's going on with you, you might need to take a minute or two to kind of breathe and, and, and put that aside because you're not going to be putting forth your best work at that moment. Um, and sometimes some of the things that we ask our coaches to do, because again, it's hard. You want this person to succeed so badly, right? And, and for whatever reason, it's not working for them. Read what you've written to them. If you're doing online coaching, read what you've written to them and see how you would take it, right? Read it as if it's, it's someone saying it to you. And a lot of times you'll go back and reword some things and be like, oh, maybe this isn't what the way I want to say it. You know, um, if you just kind of type, type, type and then hit send, that sometimes that's not the best way to go, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lastly, how are you keeping all of the WAG coaches and WAG certified coaches at the cutting edge of nutrition as the science continues to rapidly progress? Yeah, that's a full-time job right there. So we, uh, for our coaches, every other month, we ask them to complete what we've called the Advanced Nutrition Coaching Series. Um, we pick different topics depending on the trend at the time, which you know, it could be anything from intermittent fasting. Um, we had one on gut health. We have one on weight cutting for athletes. So there's different topics that are specialized and very specific to, to certain things. Um, and, and as nutrition changes, then we're definitely, um, creating new modules to cover those topics. So we require our coaches that they do that every other month. And we, we offer that as well to the, the graduates kick ass Yvette. This was like your, your second podcast, my ever. second podcast you ever. Crushed <laughs> it. You crushed it. I did my hair You're and everything. Ass. So clearly I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners just know it looks great and you can look her up on Instagram and she's got some beautiful pictures of her hair. <laughs> yes, I do. My gray hair transition. <laughs> I love it. Guys, hopefully this was super helpful for you, regardless of where you are in your coaching journey. Maybe maybe even you're just someone that wants to understand more about his or her own nutrition. Um, if you are interested in learning more about our coach certification, you can go to workingagainstgravity.com, click on the coach certification button at the very top, and join the wait list today. Yvette, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Stay in touch by signing up for our newsletter at workingagainstgravity.com or on Instagram at workingagainstgravity. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and refer a friend. We'll be back next week with another episode. Talk to you then.